good afternoon. It's good to be together today. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we finally have come to the final installment of Hebrews 11. Maybe some of you thought we would never finish, but uh, uh, we're going to be looking at these last few verses, very potent verses, as a matter of fact. Last week we saw the conquest of faith and the things that God can achieve through those that actually trust in Him and, and adhere to the promises and the mighty feats that they have done. I'll reread that passage in a moment. But this week, there's a contrast to those that suffer, those that are persecuted, um, and yet they're in the hall of faith as well. Some think that if you have enough faith, you won't suffer pain or sickness in this world. That's actually taught in a lot of churches, you know, that, that if, if you don't want to be sick, you just need more faith, right? That kind of thing. I remember when Marlon was diagnosed with that terrible cancer some years ago, our prayer meetings were bathed of praying again and again for him and for the surgery that he would be cancer-free. We, we didn't demand that of God. We asked in your mercy, oh God, would you hear our prayers? And God was pleased to keep him cancer-free now and we trust that will continue think of the persecuted church all around the world but even those christians in afghanistan as our country has vacated there and those that have taken the name of christ now are marked out and there's the risk of persecution of certainly suffering some may suffer others may be delivered uh, one commentator said, faith achieves very different results. In some, it produces heroic strength and turns the battle from the gate. But in others, it's a passive suffering that endures a long ordeal of pain. Hebrews 11 teaches us something of the nature of faith. The, the writer's agenda is to encourage these Hebrew Christians to press on, to, to not give up. To, to even face the suffering that God may have for them with great faith and trust in Him. He had said at the end of chapter 10, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We saw that triumph of faith last week and. Today we'll see the, the trial of faith. Charles Spurgeon says, Faith enables us to rejoice in the Lord in our infirmities because they become the platforms to display His grace. And isn't that true? That as we suffer and we suffer well, that, that we are trophies of His grace. So let's read together. Hebrews 11, 32 to 39. Once again, our text, if you remember last week, we went to 35a, and there's a, there, in the middle of verse 35, there is a shift, but I'm going to read the entire section. Follow along with me. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, they obtained promises, they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness was made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now notice the contrast. But 
others, but others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, and yes, chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, and they were put to death by the sword. And they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Now all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Father in heaven, we confess we need your spirit to have understanding of this text. Even understanding for some of us perhaps to to comprehend why you allow such terrible suffering and such horrible persecutions even in the lives of your people. So Lord, we pray that you'd pour out the spirit on this place and give us understanding into this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember last time I emphasized that God is pleased to use flawed people, right, to further his cause. And and we looked at these six that are listed here, this half dozen as it were, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and they achieved mighty things. They conquered kingdoms, right? We we went into detail about that, but I also pointed out that, that each one of them had flaws in their character, but yet God is pleased to use them. He says there in the beginning of verse 32, after listing Rahab, really Abel, all the way to Rahab, verses 4 to 31, and what more shall I say? Time will run out. I'm running out of time. I'm running out of parchment paper. And so he just barrages us with these quick examples and then even these anonymous examples that we will see today. So in these verses, the author summarizes the physical suffering that the heroes of faith endured. They, they were martyrs for God's cause, being tortured and killed by faith. They conquered even though they lost their lives. So we'll look at this, 33b to 40, under three main points. They're all C's. Uh, the costliness of enduring faith. The conditions of the faithful, or traveling conditions of the faithful. And then the compensations to the faithful. So first of all, and and most of our time will be spent here, the costliness of enduring faith. Again, the stark contrast, but others. It's translated in the NAS, and others. It really should be but, because it is a contrast, right? And, um, And so it really should be but, as that word can be translated that way. And we see something of the high price tag of faith. And under this first point, there's, or this first main point, there's six S's. And the first is the stretching. The stretching. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Well, what is this idea of tortured, right? It's, it's a pretty graphic term. And in fact, the term that's used only occurs here in the Greek New Testament, it's come to mean punishment by physical torture, but, but the root of the word, um, it's, it's 
tupanizo is the verb here, is where we get the idea of a tambourine or a drum, where there's a membrane that is stretched over something round and stretched very tightly, right, so that it can make noise. And it's a very picturesque verb, and, and, and this instrument of torture by which the human being would be stretched out, legs stretched, arms stretched, right, tied to this this round thing, and stretched tightly, and then were beaten with clubs, just as the body was pulled so tight. This likely is a reference to the Maccabean period, which would be the first part of the second century before Christ, when Antiochus Epiphanes persecuted the Jews at this time. They, they were forcing pagan worship. They were trying to get the Jews to eat pork to violate the law. They defiled the temple. It was a horrible time of persecution for the Jewish people, but yet they had such boldness, the Jews did. They stood up to them, and this extra-biblical book of 2 Maccabees actually goes into great detail, chapter 6 and 7, about this. There's an account, for example, of a 90-year-old scribe named Eleazar. He was put on the rack and stretched and was being beaten, and, 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 and what they would do, Antichus or, or the other torturers would, would take swine's flesh, pork, and shove it in his mouth, and he would spit it back out. All you have to do is eat this pork, and then you, we will let you go. But he did not, and he would not. In fact, he said this, It is clear to the Lord and His holy knowledge that though I might have been saved from death, I am enduring terrible sufferings in my body under this beating, but in my soul I am glad to suffer these things because I fear Him. What an amazing, amazing testimony. And think throughout church history and those that were burned at the stake as the, as the, the wood was lit on fire, they would just say, all you have to do is deny Christ. We'll, we'll, we'll bring the water. We'll put it out. All you have to do is deny Christ and your allegiance to Him, and your life can be spared. And yet, we have the testimony of so many of the Reformers, especially under Bloody Mary, um, where they would not deny Christ. God, as it were, gave them strength to endure such horrible sufferings. And even during this Maccabean time, mothers, imagine living during that Maccabean time Imagine having seven sons, right? And there's this story also, I think it's in chapter 7, of seven brothers and their mother being tortured by King Atticus Epiphanes. The brothers were put to death one by one while mom was looking on, while the other brothers were looking on, starting with the oldest and working down. And it goes into to great detail. One had their tongue cut out. And then the one that had the tongue cut out because he wouldn't eat the pork had his hands cut off. And, and, and the torture just continued and continued. Another son was scalped. There was mutilation. One was put into the flames of fire. Their bones were crushed. Their joints were dislocated. Thumb screws were used and iron claws. The oldest brother said, the king of the universe will raise us up to an everlasting renewal of life because he has died for his laws. One by one, testimony after testimony, and the mother encouraging them, don't deny Christ. I've trained you in this way. And finally, the youngest, 
gets up and he told the wicked ruler, he assured him that my six brothers that you've tortured and have killed before me, he says, he assured him during this brief pain, they now drink the ever-flowing life by virtue of God's covenant and are in his presence. You can imagine the torturers being so angry. How could you endure this? Why, do, or why are you not fearful, right? One by one by one. These Maccabean accounts of torture, the seven brothers carry the words of the heroic encouragement of their mother. And it was her hope of the resurrection. Now, in the Old Testament, they had some sense of resurrection, but nothing as clear as we do in the New Testament, right? But she's quoted as saying this. I do not know how you came to being in my womb. I was not the one that gave you life and breath, nor I who set in order the elements within each of you. Therefore, the creator of the world, who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origin of all things, will in his mercy give life and breath back to you again, since you now forget yourselves for the sakes of his holy laws. You see that? There's a hope of the resurrection. He will again give you life. And that's exactly, look at the text, they were tortured, stretched like a tambourine or a drum, a membrane, stretched. And then what does it say? Purpose clause. So that they might obtain a better resurrection. A better resurrection. Philip Hughes says such dauntless fortitude fed by unquenchable flame of faith and hope is on, uh, incomprehensible to a man who lacks faith and has no hope of the resurrection. These martyrs suffered and died for their faith. They, they were looking to a better resurrection. Look at the beginning of verse 35. Women received back their dead, right? Even Lazarus was given life, but only to what? Die again, right? But this is a better resurrection. It's an eternal resurrection. The idea of resurrection, as I said, was it super clear to Old Testament saints but when Jesus was about to raise Lazarus, Martha expressed this doctrine when she said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Remember when she said that? Oh, I know he'll raise again. <clears throat> well, application for us. Maybe some of you are not facing being stretched out on that torture rack. Maybe you're not facing martyrdom. But maybe there's other torture, internal struggles that you're facing. God knows what you're going through. Jesus is our great high priest. It says that he sympathizes with us. We're told to come boldly to the throne of grace so that no matter what you are going through, you can go to him. How are you being stretched today as we sit here in San Diego? What's your last week been like? What's your day been like even today? Maybe it's a difficult marriage. Maybe you're tempted to give up. For others, maybe it's financial hardship, not making ends meet. For others, maybe it's an internal depression of some sort, you know, where you just feel worn down like there's a weight on your back constantly. Others, maybe it's dealing with a certain employer or maybe lack of work. 
or other, maybe even the midst of the result of COVID-19, maybe church disillusionment, as it were. You're confused about what's going on around you. Well, that was the first S. (laughs) Stretching, now more quickly. Verse 36, the scourging. Scourging. It says that and others experienced mockings and scourgings. Jesus endured this, didn't he? Remember all those mock trials? He endured. He suffered the flogging before Pontius Pilate. The mock trials, even next time, we're going to see here that he endured the cross, despising the shame. Chapter 12 and verse 2. God's people are often mocked, right? Elisha. Remember that story in Second uh, Kings chapter 2, I almost said in the book about Elisha, um, but Elisha's mocked, and, and it says this, that as he was going up to Bethel, he was going up his way, and two young lads came out of the city and mocked him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head, <laughs> in chapter 2 of Second Kings. Perhaps more vividly before us is Jeremiah again and again through this man's ministry that's why he's referred to as the weeping prophet talk about a man that was called to suffer so much in chapter 20 for example it says pushar had jeremiah the prophet beaten and put him in stocks and he was up near the upper benjamin gate which was near the house of the lord a few verses later verse 7 oh lord you have deceived me and i was deceived You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become the laughingstock all day long and everyone mocks me. He's crying out to the Lord, weeping. Chapter 37, again later, Jeremiah is beaten by the officials of King Zedekiah and he's placed in prison for a long time. So the scourgings. Our third S, the sentencing. Some were in chains and in prison. They were sentenced to prison. The apostles were in prison. Look at the book of Acts for doing what? Preaching the gospel, right? And that still happens in some places in our world. It might happen in our country eventually, too. In Acts 5.8, they laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul's autobiography, as I like to call it. He says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I far more, far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Paul wrote much of the New Testament from prison, didn't he? And it even hit close to home for these recipients. Look uh, back, just turn one page back, chapter 10 and verse 33. Or verse 32, you endured a great conflict of sufferings partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers of those who were so treated for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you yourselves have a better possession, a lasting one. Fourthly, the stoning, verse 37a, and they were stoned. They were stoned. Paul says he was stoned in 2 Corinthians 11, his autobiography there. Wicked Queen Jezebel schemes to have innocent Naboth and 
1 Kings chapter 21. I have these verses here, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to read them. 1 Kings 21, verse 13, if you want to look at that later. Probably the clearest example is sort of an obscure passage in 2 Chronicles. Um, Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, died in the courtyard of the Lord's temple during the reign of Joash, king of Judah. He, he, He said, because you have forsaken the Lord, the Lord has forsaken you, 2 Chronicles 24. And he was stoned. And Jesus makes reference to this very thing in Matthew 23. He says this, um, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the, righteous, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berkiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Likely many others as well that we don't know of that aren't recorded of these faithful that suffered so much. Jesus just a few verses later from those, all those woes in Matthew 23, finally says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are unwilling. So the stretching, the scourging, the sentencing, the stoning, the sawing, Others were sawn in two. Now, who do we know that was sawn in two? It's not recorded in the Bible or in the Old Testament, but tradition has it from multiple sources that Isaiah the prophet was cut in two. William Lane comments on this. Mutually complementary rabbinical sources has the king Manasseh enraged because Isaiah prophesied that the temple would be destroyed ordered his arrest Isaiah fled to the hill country he hid in the trunk of a cedar tree and he when he was discovered the king ordered the tree be cut down and Isaiah was tortured and sawn in two as he was in the trunk of the tree And then the last S, the sword, there at the end of verse 37, right? They were put to death by the sword. And we can think of several examples. Um, Our brother read from 1 Kings 19 and Elijah's depression, right? He's there and and, and the Lord ministers to him. But as he gives his lament, his, his complaint, as it were, he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So obviously there's many others that were cut down by the sword that we don't know about. John the Baptist's head came off by a sword, right? But King Herod, when he said it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, right? He didn't like that. Brought his head on a platter. Charles Spurgeon says this, It seems to me that the trials and temptations of this life are preparing us for the life to come, building character for eternity. He goes on and gives this illustration. Have you ever been to a piano factory? Do you go there to hear music? No, you go into the tuning room, and you will say, This is a dreadful place. I cannot stand it. 
I thought you made music here, one asked. No, we do not produce music here, the man said. We make instruments and we tune them. In the process, much discord is produced. Spurgeon goes on to say, such is the church of God on earth. Much discord. It's not sweet harmony. There's trials, there's sufferings, there's persecutions. He goes on to say that we are, we are instruments and we're being tuned down here, but the great deal of discord is easily perceptible, but it is all necessary to prepare us for the everlasting harmonies up yonder. So the difficulties we go through are necessary. They're preparing us for eternity. We need to embrace them, not run from them, not, not claim that we want um, a trouble-free life. So that's the costliness of faith. Now let's look at verse 37 and 38. The conditions of the faithful, or I have the travel conditions of the faithful. Many of these unknown heroes lived deplorable and miserable lives in horrible conditions. It's hard for us in 21st century America to even imagine this. They dressed in sheepskins and goatskins. Elijah the prophet dressed like this. It says in 2 Kings 1.8, he was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins. They definitely were not the promoters of the health and wealth gospel, right? Because <laughs> they dressed like this. Jesus talking about John the Baptist. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one that is more than a prophet. That prophet did not go shopping at Nordstrom's and come um, to discharge his duty. So sheepskins, goatskins. One rabbi has said the darker camel hair was often used of of the, the, or camel or goatskin hair, the darker to give the prophet's garment more of a mournful appearance than using the lighter colors. Well, their condition was destitute. It says, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. I mean, think about it. Wandering in deserts and caves, Obadiah in 1 Kings 18 and verse 13, it says, Has it not been told to my master what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, that I hid hundreds of prophets by the Lord in fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. That's Obadiah who comes to Elijah. Has it not been told you? I've been protecting them and bringing them bread and water. To be destitute is to be in short supply. It's to have a diet of locust and honey and depending on ravens to feed you, even as Elijah did. To be ill-treated means to mistreat, afflict, harass, oppress, or torment. And the present tense here in our text speaks that these saints were continually harassed in such a way. The strongest word here is the idea of afflicted. It means to, literally means to press or to squeeze or to crush, to squash, to hem in and And then to be narrow, afflicted, destitute, ill-treatment. Well, application, faith does not imply immunity to persecution and suffering. 
or even death, right? We, we shouldn't be surprised when we hear of these accounts and, or even when it comes to us close to home. John Piper said, having faith is not the ultimate determining factor in whether you will suffer or escape. To me, this is immensely comforting. It is a great relief to know that there is a higher explanation for my pain or my pleasure than whether I have enough faith. Would it not be horrible to have to believe on top of all of your sufferings to add this, it is because I lack faith. You see what he's saying there? It's immensely comforting to know that this is coming from the hand of God. It's, it's, not, it's not about me. You think also of the life of faith does not mean worldly success and prestige, right? Or a promised nice retirement. Think of Pastor Sudarshan who works and labors 50, 60, 70 hours in the ministry most weeks and, and, and they have so little, but yet he presses on in faith to God because he's looking for a better possession, the city to come, right? Not the mansion here. It might be argued that those who suffered had greater faith. John MacArthur says, they were willing to accept the worst this world had to offer, pain, death, because they trusted in the best that God has to offer that coming resurrection. Are you loved by God less if you suffer? May it never be. Think of Jesus who suffered so much. Read Isaiah 53 just to get a grasp of that. He was most loved by his father. In John 10, he says, For this reason the father loves me, because I lay down my life. Well, our text goes on in verse 38. It's parenthetical. By the way, men of whom the world was not worthy. Isn't that an interesting phrase? They didn't deserve the suffering and the, what the world had to offer them. Their refusal to conform to the world's sinful standards. The world attempts to eliminate them and their witness. Philip Hughes says their nobility and their integrity shine forth all the more brilliantly against the world's dark hatred. For in the world, darkened and degraded by sin, they truly are the light and there's an everlasting reward. See, the, the calculated irony here is that the world has rejected such people, right? And want to stamp them out, and yet the world does not deserve them. It begs the question, could God have prevented their suffering, the torturing? Of course he could. God is sovereign over all things, calamity and persecution and, and, and all of that. Remember what Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 50, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good, right? And then later in Acts 2, in Peter's sermon, he says Christ was crucified according to the predestined plan of God. And so that Paul can say even for us, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So the costliness of faith, the conditions of faith, now the compensations. The last two verses, verses 39 and 40. First of all, the praise, the praise and patience here. Look at verse 39. In all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. The chapter 
ends in the way it began. If you remember, I said verses 1 and 2 at the very beginning, sort of parallel 39 and 40. We'll read those again for you. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it men gained approval. And here you have these concluding, all of these having gained approval through their faith. These are two bookends to all the meat that, that lies in between, all of the examples, that huge cloud of witnesses of which he'll tell us in chapter 12. 1 John 5, 4 says, And whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. God does not forget who his children is. He recognizes everyone who acts in faith. He has promised, remember that new covenant promise in chapter 8 and verse 10, I will be their God and they will be my people. Beautiful, sweet harmony that's there. Since God is our Father, He wants us to trust Him just as a little child trusts His parents. Now, what does this mean, the idea that they did not receive what was promised? Well, look back in several of these verses, right? The, the promise of a child and Abraham and, and Sarah has Isaac, right? Noah, the promise that it will be delivered, build an ark, and, and Noah did. So there was some fulfillment of these promises that came to them. But none of them received the greatest promise, right? Messiah and the salvation that we have in Him. Back in verse 13, all of these died in faith without receiving the promises. Thus, having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 16 makes it even more clear. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call, to be called their God, and He has prepared a city for them. They're desiring the better city, the better resurrection, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing about being in Christ is that we have, as it were, the binoculars of faith to look above the clouds of confusion and discord and to see into heaven what He has for us. So we need the same hope to endure in trials and suffering. Just think about a couple of these examples. Joni Erickson Tata. Remember that? You know who she is? She had that diving accident in 1967, became a quadriplegic, has an extensive worldwide ministry. She was 17 when that happened. It's over 50 years ago. Could God have healed her? Absolutely. But she says even to this day, I would not change a thing. She's not complaining. Why didn't God heal me? I would not change a thing. She says this, one day I'm going to leave this wheelchair behind. I cannot wait. I may have suffered with Christ on earth, but one day in heaven, I'm going to reign with him. I may have tasted the pains of living on this planet, but one day I'm going to eat from the tree of life. And it's all going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. I get so excited about thinking how Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are anticipating that wonderful day when we, the spotless and pure blameless, will join them I rejoice in that hope. See, that's having, uh, being heavenly minded, right? 
can endure the sufferings. I can endure having to have people to dress me and help me go to the bathroom and all of that every day of my life for 50 plus years because my eye is on that greater reward. In verse 40, the progress and perfection of the saints here because God has provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Here the writer speaks not with words of exhortation or admonition, but instead he teaches his readers that unity and the continuity of all believers, both in the Old Testament era and the New Testament era, being wedded together as one people of God is what's important. God has provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. The era of Christ. This word better is is a key word in the book of Hebrews, isn't it? 19 times in the New Testament, 13 of those in the book of Hebrews alone. This is speaking of the era of Christ. The Old Testament saints looked forward to the cross. We in the New Testament look back to the cross, but we are one people of God. Chapter 8 and verse 6, he says, For now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Back in chapter 2, it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. No one was made perfect in the old covenant uh, because Christ had not yet died. They were saved, but it wasn't until the work of Christ that that was completed and they were made perfect. So the writer can say in chapter 10 of verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Through his atoning work, Christ caused the Old Testament and New Testament saints to share in this perfection. Christ perfects believers. He is the perfecter of their faith, as we'll see next week. Despising the shame is at the right hand of God. He's the perfecter of our faith. Well, a couple concluding applications for us. First, God is preparing us to have faith for heaven by trials and suffering. He's preparing us Right? The pianos are being tuned and, and they're all out of tune and it's, it's not real harmonious yet, but he's preparing us for that day of harmony and glory. The message to this house church in Rome was one that you need to persevere, you need to endure. The, the fire's being heated up. The Nero persecution's about to intensify way more. But we're, we're told here in chapter um, 12 and verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. You have not yet. So they, none of them had lost their lives. We're pretty confident because he includes that in verse 4. But yet he gives all of these examples of torture and torment. He's preparing them. It's going to intensify, but you must persevere. Take advantage of your walk within this life knowing that you are perfected in Christ. So for us in the 21st century here in San Diego, we must be committed to walking in faith and shining the light 
and living in light of these eternal realities. We have a better resurrection, a better city that we're marching forward to, but He wants us to be useful in this life, to be engaged in the life of the church, to be engaged in the outreach of the church, to be about our Father's business if you're a true child of God. We have no guarantee of safety or protection or religious freedom. This has been an anomaly the last 100 or 200 years in this country. I think it's actually disappearing. And there will be harder days ahead. And we need to be prepared for that. Let us be prepared to endure for what may come, no matter how intense the suffering gets. We need to expect the sufferings in this life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, the psalmist says. We read in 1 Peter, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Right? Don't be surprised. We're going to sing in a moment, am I a soldier of the cross? When we sing that, I want you to ask yourself, am I a soldier? Am I putting my armor on? It says, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by your word. Am I a soldier of the cross? John tells us in Revelation 6, of the, 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 perse- the, the, the glorified bride. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives, even when faced with death. Secondly, labor to increase your faith by being under the means of grace. This is so important for us. We need to hear the word proclaimed. We need to worship. We need to hear it read. We need the fellowship to sharpen as iron sharpens iron. We need each other, brethren. Do you believe it? So that when those trials come, we can sing together, blessed be your name, O God. Blessed be your name. On a road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. You give and take away. My heart will choose to stay. Blessed be your name. You think of other, the others who have been martyred. You think of Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and their three friends that went to minister to the Aka Indians. Do you remember that? In the 1950s with a, a, a men in their, their, their 20s and their, their, their vibrant strength to reach this unreached people groups going there to be there 40, 50 years and to see churches planted and all of that. That wasn't God's plan. They were martyred, weren't they? But you know what? God did work there, didn't he? There's many churches there. that The stories of the conversions that Elizabeth Elliot tells is phenomenal. The point is, is that our desires don't always fit with what God is doing. We need to submit to his agenda And of course, Jim Elliott said in his journal before he died, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Think about the persecution of Antichus, Epiphanes, looking on and and, and telling Eleazar, the the 90-year-old scribe, and thinking, what a fool 
What a fool you could have spared your life for those seven sons. What a fool, right? But, but he's looking through without the eyes of faith. Losers in the, world eyes, in the world's eyes are winners from God's perspective. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I encourage you, flee to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these saints that have suffered so much, that have gone before. Lord, prepare us to suffer. Many of us have suffered in various ways. Many of us have, have received the mockings and, 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 um, and insults and all of that. Lord, prepare us for tougher days. Make us strong in faith. Draw us nearer to Christ. More love to Thee, O Christ. May that be our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.